Section 30 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 7, Part 4. I did not get well so quickly as was hoped at first. The continued absence of news threw me into such excitement and misery that I never really got out of a feverish condition. My nights were filled with horrible phantoms, and my days passed in weary longing or troubled stupor, so that it was difficult to get my strength up again. Once, after a night in which I had had peculiarly terrifying visions, Frederick alive, but buried under a heap of corpses of men and horses, a relapse actually set in which again brought me in danger of my life. My poor Aunt Mary had a hard time of it. She thought it a duty to preach comfort and resignation to me unceasingly, and her reason for it, the destiny which was constantly coming in again, had the effect of irritating me to the extreme, and instead of letting her quietly prose away, I set myself to contradict her passionately, to complain of my fate in defiance of her, and to assure her in plain terms that her destiny seemed to me folly all this of course sounded blasphemous and my good aunt not only felt herself personally insulted but she trembled also for my rebellious soul so soon perhaps to appear before the judgment seat there was only one means to quiet me for a few minutes that was to bring little rudolph into my bedroom you beloved child of mine you are my comfort my stay my future this is what I cried out in my inward soul to the boy whenever I saw him. But he did not like staying long in the darkened sick room. It struck him as uncanny to see his mamma, who used to be so gay, now lying constantly in bed, pale and exhausted with weeping. He became himself quite out of spirits, and so I only kept him with me for a few minutes at a time. Frequent inquiries and news came from my father. He had written to Frederick's colonel, and to several other people besides, but had no answer as yet. When any list of killed and wounded came in, he would send me a telegram. Frederick not there. Oh, perhaps you are deceiving me, I once asked my aunt. Perhaps the news of his death has arrived long ago, and you are concealing it from me. I swear to you. On your honor? On your soul? on my soul. Such an assurance as this did me more good than I can tell, for I clung with all my might to my hope. Every hour I was expecting the arrival of a letter, of a telegram. At every noise in the next room, I fancied that it was the postman. Almost continually my eyes were turning towards the door, with a constant picture of someone coming in with the blessed message in his hand. When I look back on those days, they seem to present themselves, to my memory, as a whole year filled with torture. The next gleam of light for me was the news that a suspension of arms had again been agreed on. This must surely, this time, be the presage of peace. On the day after the receipt of this intelligence, I sat up for a little while for the first time. Peace! What a sweet, what a happy thought! perhaps too late for me. No matter. I felt myself anyhow unspeakably calmed. 
At any rate, I had no need to fancy every day, every hour, the raging battle going on in which Frederick might, at that moment, be killed. "'Thank God! Now you will soon be well,' said my aunt, one day after helping me to seat myself on a couch, which had been moved to the open window for me. "'And then we can go to Grummet's. "'As soon as I have strength for it, I am going to Alson.' "'To Alson?' "'My dear child, what are you thinking about?' "'I want to find the place there where Frederick was either wounded or... "'I could not finish the sentence. "'Shall I fetch little Rudolph?' said my aunt after a pause. "'She knew that this was the best way to chase away my troubled thoughts for a time. "'No, not yet. I want to be quite quiet and alone. "'It would be doing me a kindness, and if even you would go into the next room.' Perhaps I may sleep a little. I feel so weak. Very well, my dear, I will leave you quiet. There is a bell here on the table by you. If you want anything, someone will be ready at once. Has the letter carrier been here? No, it is not post time yet. If he comes, call me. I lay down and shut my eyes. My aunt went out softly. All the people in the house had lately adopted this inaudible walk. I did not want to sleep, but to be alone with my thoughts. I was in the same room, on the same couch, as on that afternoon when Frederick came to tell me, We have got marching orders. It was just as sultry again as on that day, and again there were roses breathing in a vase near me, and again the trumpet exercise was sounding from the barracks. I could return entirely into the frame of mind of that day, I wished I could go to sleep again in the same way, and dream as I then fancied I dreamt, that the door opened gently, and my beloved husband entered. The roses were smelling even more powerfully, and through the open window the distant tra-ra-ra was sounding. By degrees my consciousness of present things vanished. I found myself ever more and more transported into that hour. All was forgotten that had happened since and only the one fixed idea became even more intense, that at any moment the door might open, and give my dear one admission. But, to this end, I had to dream that I was keeping my eyes only half open. It was an effort to force myself to this, but it succeeded. I opened my eyelids ever so little, and... And there it was, the entrancing vision. Frederick, my beloved Frederick, on the threshold... With a loud sob, and covering my face with both hands, I roused myself from my dreamy state. It was clear to me, at a stroke, that this was only a hallucination, and the heavenly ray of happiness that had been poured round me by this delusion made the hellish night of my misery seem all the blacker to me. "'Oh, my Frederick, my lost one!' I groaned. "'Martha, my wife! What was that?' a real voice, his own, and real arms that were thrown eagerly round me. It was no dream. I was lying on my husband's breast. End of section 30. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.